So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about the birthmarks of a believer. And it's very important that we pay attention to words. I'm going to give you an example right here at the beginning of this message. The word birthmark is different than the word birthright. I got to thinking about this the other day because of a word that people... If, if, if we're not careful, see, people can take words and put their own connotations to it. Like the word religion. The word religion is used in a positive connotation in the Bible. Did you know that? Pure religion is. And then there's a definition given. But it's come to mean something negative in our society today because people say things like, well, I don't have religion, I have a relationship. Okay, and I really don't like that kind of fooling around with the language because I know what they mean, I get it, I know where they're coming from, is that they don't want to have a, a form or a, 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 they don't want to have some stuffy, cold religion that they adhere to. I understand where they're coming from. But at the, at the same time, if you would go back to 1860, that phraseology would never be used. Because everybody understand and everybody said in that, in that culture back then, when they got saved, they said, so-and-so got religion. You would even stand up and testify of yourself, I got religion. And it feels so wonderful. And so there's nothing wrong with the word religion. That word is neutral, you know. It all depends on the connotation that a, a culture gives it. And in ours today, it's a, it's a negative connotation. But really, we need to pay attention to words because words not only point the way that we need to travel, but words also carry with them revelation. And so as we pay attention to what word is being used and the context it's being used in, we often get a revelation from the Holy Spirit as to what the Word of God is saying. Every time we study the Word of God, we should ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We should ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, to instruct us, because that's His function. He wants to do that. You don't really have to beg Him to do that, because He wants to do it. You just need to ask Him. You need to open your heart. You need to yield to Him, and He will begin to do His work in your life. So there's a difference between the word birthmark and birthright. And I'm not going to go into birthright very much tonight, just simply to say that a birthmark is something that you are born with. And a birthright is something you are entitled to. So there's a difference there. Uh, you know the story that Esau traded his birthright. He traded his inheritance. He traded his entitlement. He traded it for a bowl of stew. Not a very good decision on Esau's part. Not a very good trade. What have we in the church of Jesus Christ in America in this hour, what have we traded our birthright for? What have we traded the power of God for? What do we use our faith on? Do we use our faith to try to get cars and and airplanes and houses and lands? And I'm not saying that all of, the, all of that is is uh, improper, but I'm saying is that faith was never meant for me to squander it on myself or on my lust. 
What are we trading our birthright for that we could be seeing the power of God breaking the shackles of sin in this generation, something that God longs to do and yearns to do? What are we trading the birthright for? Our particular viewpoint on things, our particular preference of Bible versions, our particular preference of music, whatever the case might be, when we could be having the power of God. Are we engrossed in, in that, that we want to have so much money and we want to have so much fame? Or is that what our eyes are on? Or is our eyes upon the crucified Christ that bled and died for the lost of the world? So what are we trading our birthright for? That, that God says we're entitled in His Word to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We're entitled to take this gospel to the whole world and the Lord will confirm His Word with signs following the Scripture says. So what have we traded our birthright for? For Esau it was a bold stew. But the word we want to look at here tonight is the word birthmark. If this is a thing that can identify if a person is following the true faith of Christ or not. And, and John's going to give us five. There are, there are others. But we're going to look at five tests that help to determine if a person is really a believer. These tests are given as birthmarks to assure and give us the assurance of our own salvation. I want to say that again. These five tests, these five birthmarks was given in the Word of God by the Holy Spirit to help us be assured of our own salvation, to encourage us in those moments when we might not feel too good or, or we might be perceiving that God is not hearing our prayer, He's not answering us, God is a million miles away. You know, in reality, He is not. There are times when God will allow you to stop sensing His presence as a test. That happens. But God is with you always. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's right there. You can't feel him. You can't sense him. But he is right there. And these five things are given that believers might have an assurance of their salvation. And an assurance of the fact that God is with them and has never left them. Let's read John chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And in those five verses, we can see a lot of practical truth that will encourage us as we stand in the gap in these days and fight for the loss of a generation. We believe right before Christ returns. The first test the first test that will let us know that others and ourselves have the genuine faith of Christ in our heart is the faith test. 
And this faith test is what it goes beyond what do we believe. It goes beyond is our doctrine in line with the Word of God, even though that's a big, huge part of it. Because correct doctrine, the word doctrine is not a dirty word, first of all, and it's a word that's tremendously needed in today's church. But this goes a little bit beyond that when, when we say the faith test, because you see God is carefully observing you and I as we run this race. Uh, God is looking at us. How do we react? How do we respond? You know, what, are we faithful? The, the scripture says that a man needs to be found faithful. That word found in the Greek indicates to us that God inspects our lives. And this, this comes to a point where you have to doctrinally divide this because we preach, teach, and believe that living for Jesus is a life of faith and grace. But at the same time, if we are living for Jesus, you see a birthmark is something that you're born with. When you are born again, you are given by God what it takes to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ through any situation, you are given what, it's, it, what it takes by the Lord at the time you're born again to be a witness and a testimony for the Lord in the earth. Now it's going to be tested, and the first test is the faith test. And so what we do is we see that God wants us to know, if you will look with me at, at John 4, 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And then you read of chapter 5, verse 1, again, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. The closer that we get to Jesus, and the more of God that we have living on the inside of us, the more we're going to want His will and not ours. We're going to want to be like Him. We're going to want to make choices that will please Him. We're going to want to hear Him. And we begin to, all of a sudden, lay down our life on a daily basis, taking up our cross to follow Jesus. So it's the faith test. And this is a test that you don't take it one time and then it's over. This is a test that carries on through the rest of our lives. Secondly, we have a life test. How do we live? Do we keep God's commandments? This is something else that needs to be doctrinally discerned because we understand as New Covenant believers that we don't keep the law in the same way that the children of Israel had to keep the law. We are under faith and grace. But here's the thing. Grace will never give you license to sin. Grace will never give you license to break commandments on purpose. Grace wasn't given for on purpose. Grace was given because God knows that we will fall short. Because all have fallen short and, and come short of the glory of God. So God, God doesn't give us grace so that we can choose to do evil. He gives us grace to empower us to do what is right. And that's why grace was given. But in a sense, we do keep the commandments. And Jesus said it this way. He said, my commandment is, first of all, that you love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And secondly, he said that you love your neighbor as yourself. And see, so we don't want to use the fact of, well, God knows that we're not perfect. We don't want to let that become an excuse 
for why we sin. Because I'm telling you that when you give your heart to Jesus, God gives you what you need to get victory over sin. And what you need is a daily faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you can live free from sin. Will you be perfect? Absolutely not until you get to heaven. But you'll be heading in the right direction. And you won't be using it as an excuse for why. You, you know, it always bothers me in personal relationships. When people are eager, when people are eager to kick someone over to the side, I know right there this is not the Spirit of Jesus. Because people who really have the Spirit of Christ motivating their lives, they don't want to throw people away. They don't want to put them to the side. No matter what they've done to us, no matter how they've treated us, our God is a God of reconciliation. And that's where the Holy Spirit will lead us if we'll allow Him to. And so, all of this goes back to the faith test and the life test. Let's read verses 2 and 3 again of chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. And our commandment today is the commandment of love. And in that commandment, now we're going we're gonna to break this down in just a moment, but in that commandment to love, all the other bases are covered. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the step, that's the entry point, step one. And then, if, if when we're born again, if we receive the love of God into our heart, and we do, the book of Romans, chapter 5, says the love of God has been cast abroad in our hearts. So we receive the love of God when we're saved. Now, that love will be tested. It's called the life test. It will be tested by people in our lives, by circumstances that we come up against in our lives. But that love has been given to us. We need to just start reckoning that to be true. Yes, when I gave my heart to Christ, He gave me the very love of God for me to love this world with. Now that's what God wants us to do. God does not want us to get into protectionism where we have to build our relationships based on protecting ourselves because after all, how can a dead guy protect himself? How can that person who's laying down his life on a daily basis protect himself? We need to trust God to protect us and we need to commit it all to his care and call upon the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts through Christ Jesus and reach out to this generation. That doesn't mean be a fool and just let yourself be kicked and, and beaten and bullied and buggered. That doesn't mean that, but it does mean that we're not eager to see things come to a close. Which brings us to the third test. It's the love test. Do we love our brothers and our sisters in the Lord? And let's go read 1 John 4, 7 through 11. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. A little bit more scripture tonight, but it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, 
for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, for many, many years, all through my Christian life, starting in 1980, I was saved in 81, but I started actually hanging out around Christians in 80. Up until just this present time, you know, it's always been said that I've heard people say, you know, I love God, but I, I just don't like people. Well, we have just read to you that that is an impossibility, and that is really something that you need to get victory over. Because the Bible says, I, I'm not worried about what you believe right now, but you need to believe the Word of God. And the Word of God says it is impossible to love God if you do not love people. We read one verse of many. And so the love test is another way that we can know that we're on the right path. How is our progress in that area? How's our progress in faith and in life and in love? Let's read verses 20 and 21 of chapter 4 of 1 John. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And let me say this to you. You, you need to ask yourself this question. What does love do? Well, look at God and look at Jesus. They're, they're both God. You know, Look at God the Father and God the Son. God loved the world so much that he gave his Son to be our answer. Right? It didn't say anything about there that, well, I, I love the human race, but I'm not going to talk to them. I love the human race, but I'm giving up on them. I love the human race, and if they can figure out a way to be saved, just go on and help yourself. It doesn't say that. You see, love does. The Bible says, pray for those which despitefully use you, and do good to them who hate you. So we understand, first of all, that as a Christian, as a believer, I am not supposed to write people off. I am not supposed to cast people aside. I am supposed to do good to those who hate me. I, I go out and I do something good for them. They've done something evil to me. I go do something good for them. This is the love of God, brothers. This is the love of God, sisters. And when we get into this part of this love test, how are we doing? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. And you say, well, I don't know. That's awful hard. I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You were given the ability when you were born again. The Bible says, I'll go back to it again. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. Amen. The Bible says the old man has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. 
What we need to do is believe it. Whether you're dealing with a relationship problem or whether you're dealing with a bad habit or whether you're dealing with uh, pain and, and stuff that you've just given up and you need an attitude uh, to be refurbished by the Holy Spirit, whatever the case is, we need to believe that Jesus Christ has already given it to us. He's given us the answer. It's in His Word. He's given us the victory. It's through His blood. He's given us the love of God in our hearts to reach out to this world. We are set up with everything we need. I'm telling you that the birthmark will reveal the birthright. God has given us everything that we need to get this job done. And what we need to do is lay aside what we have been believing. If we find ourselves not faring too well in these tests, and there's, there's two more, but we need to lay aside the way we have been thinking or the way we have been believing or whatever the case might be, and we need to believe the Word of God once again and act like this Bible is true. And I, I'm not talking about... You, you kind of have to put disclaimers out there because, you know, there's so many abuses of the word that has taken place. But let me tell you something. Just because a particular scripture or section of scripture or a particular message has been abused, just because that's taken place doesn't mean that the word isn't true. Okay? And when the word of God says that if you come to me, I will not cast you out, you need to believe that. And so if you sin, if you make a mistake, if you fall short, and you're going to until you go to heaven, but that's not an excuse to do it more. I'm trying to drive that home in people's hearts and lives. Yes, we're going to sin. Yes, we're going to make mistakes. Yes, we're going to fall short. But no, we don't have to do it. No, we shouldn't want to do it. No, it's not a light thing. And we should cry out to God for forgiveness and ask Him for the strength that He has promised us. And when the Word of God says, if you come to me, I won't cast you out, just act like that's true. And when you're, if you're having a problem today, just go to God. Just go to God and get washed in the blood of Jesus. If, if there's something going on in your body, just believe the word that by his stripes we were healed. And don't stop believing that, even if it doesn't look good. Just keep believing. Now, don't do stupid things and not go to the doctor. I'm not telling you, you know, I'm not getting off on this health and wealth type of direction. But I'm telling you that the word of God is true. I'm telling you that when the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means I can believe him to do what I've seen him doing in the Word of God. And if we'll just start acting like the Word is true, I believe God's going to show up. And he's going to do mighty things. He's going to do miraculous things in your life and in mine. And in all who will dare to believe him in these last days. God is a God of miracles. That has never passed away. That has never died. That has never changed. God is a God of miracles. So, the first three birthmarks, the faith test, the life test, and the love test. And I want to tell you now, look how all this coordinates. You were given faith when you were born again. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You were given faith. 
You were given faith to become a Christian. And you were given faith to live the Christian life. Now you have to develop that faith. It, faith is like muscles. <clears throat> you can be a big, strong, strapping fella. But if you don't use those muscles, they're going to wither. They're going to atrophy. You take a lot of the elderly that uh, live in homes and nobody takes them for a walk or helps them out to, to move and little by little their fingers will start to clutch and their arms and their muscles will start to shrivel and their legs because muscles were meant to be used and when muscles aren't used they die. Faith is like a muscle in that regard. Your, you need to be believing God for something every day. Because faith that is exercised will grow strong and robust. And you say, what, what is faith? Faith is simply trusting God. If, if you need a miracle in your body, if you need a miracle in your finances, if you need a miracle in your home, if you need a miracle for lost loved ones, if you need a miracle for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever you need, you simply trust God that He said He would give it, and he doesn't lie. God is not a man that he should lie. Amen. God is not a man that he should go back on his promise. And so if he said it, you can believe it. You were given faith when you were born again. You were also given abundant life. Number two, the life test. Jesus said, the thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I am come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. Now that doesn't mean you're going to just have the biggest and the best of this world's goods. That means you're going to find out now, now that you've received Christ, you're going to find out what life really is. You're going to find out what living's all about. You're going to find out how good that God is and how abundantly He wants to bestow His mercy and His benefits upon you all the days of your life. And you may be rich, or you may be poor in this world's goods, but you can still live the abundant and the amazing life that Jesus offers you in His Word. Amen. You can still receive. It has nothing to do with material possessions. Now, we all need material possessions, and let me clear this up right here. It's not wrong for you to believe God for money. If you need it, it's not wrong for you to believe God for a better job, a, a better house, a better car, whatever the case might be. That's not wrong. But either way, whether you get those things or not, you can live an abundant and amazing life in Jesus Christ. And you were born with that life given to you when you were born again. When you were born again, God put abundant life in you. Uh, God put Zoe life in you. God put life in you that comes from Him, and nobody can take it away. Glory to God. You are a born-again child of God, and you can have the life of your dreams. And again, I'm not speaking materially. 
but I'm speaking that God wants to use you in his kingdom to bring glory to his name. God wants to win souls through you. God wants to heal the sick through you. You're not going to heal them. Jesus is going to heal them, but you're going to pray the prayer of faith, and the Bible says that the Lord will raise up the sick. Glory to God. God wants to do miracles on the earth through his people. And I mentioned the word religion at the beginning of this message tonight, how that it's really the word's been misapplied in this world today. It's been given a negative connotation because the apostle said true religion is to care for the orphans and the widows. Amen. And so religion speaks to us of our doing aspect of the gospel. God is not against good works. In fact, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. God has good works prepared for every one of us to become involved in, and he wants to anoint you to do them, hallelujah, so that you can make a dent in the enemy's inroads in the kingdom for this day. Amen? God wants you to rise up in the abundant life that he's placed within you. Also, we mentioned the love test. Well, and we said that God has given you the very love of God when you were born again. Now we come to the fourth one. This is the growth test. Are you and I growing in the Lord? Are we overcoming more and more as we walk with God? Let's read verses 4 and 5 from this fifth chapter once more. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What do you do to overcome? What do you do to overcome? You believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. He gives the power to overcome. And then the Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will give you direction. He will say to you, you know, I'll give you an example of, of things I've run across in my ministry. A uh, person that had a really bad stomach problem. The Holy Spirit told him to give up coffee. Now that, that word was not for the whole human race. It's a sin to drink coffee. Well, I'm a bad sinner then because I drink coffee a lot. No, it's not a sin to drink coffee unless you're that man that the Holy Spirit said to stop. And really, even then, that's not a sin that, that, in the sense of the word, that the Holy Spirit would hold that against you necessarily. But if you want to get better, you'll do what God said. You see what I'm saying? And so there are things, we have to be obedient. It's not just a matter of sitting in, in your chair or sitting on the couch and just believing real hard until God does something. That's foolishness. God will give you directions, and when he does, you need to be obedient. And God will lead you into that victory. And Jesus won the victory at the cross, making it possible for you to have victory. But you still need to be obedient. And like I said, we aren't saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. If you, you show me a believer who is not doing anything in the kingdom, they're just believing, and I'll show you somebody who doesn't even have the gospel in their heart, period. Because this gospel that we preach, the gospel of faith and grace, will make you do more. It'll, it'll, it'll rise up in you to do more for God than you ever have before in all of your life. So are you growing in the Lord? Do you understand these things? 
Do, do, do you have the understanding that yes, it's by faith and grace, but there are some things that I will do if I'm born again, and there's some things I also won't do if I'm born again? Or do you see it that it's just, I'm going to just sit here and believe? Are you growing? Are you overcoming sin in your life? Are you, are, are you overcoming or are you still in the same place you were last year at this time? Have you gotten a victory over something going on in your life in the recent past? Because that is a growth indicator according to this section of Scripture in 1 John chapter 5. So we have the faith test, we have the life test, we have the love test and the growth test, and finally, we have the sin test. The sin test. What do you mean? Do we avoid sin? Now you and I have, we believe in this great message, the grace message. We believe that God saves us by grace. We believe that God gives us grace. We believe that God fills us with His grace to extend to others. Right? But grace doesn't mean keep sinning and, and think it's acceptable. Grace doesn't produce that in my heart. Grace produces, I hate sin because God hates sin. And sin breaks God's heart, so therefore it breaks my heart. And if I see a sin in my life, I want to lay it down at the altar, and I want to get victory over it, and I want to be washed in the blood, and I want to be pleasing to the Lord in everything I do. Do we avoid sin, or do we continue sinning and consider it acceptable? Do we look at some sins as no big deal? But others, we would, we would shun the very thought that we would commit murder or rape or, or robbery or anything like that. But do we uh, accept what we consider minor little sins? Or do we look at that sin with a holy hatred and desire to be washed in the blood of Jesus and free and pleasing to the Lord? And that helps us to understand where we are in our process. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. And read verses 5 through 10. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Here's what the Bible says. This is the message which you have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Okay? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. And I'm going back to that word religion again, and I said to you that in, in our culture it has a negative connotation, but it's not a negative word, it's a neutral word. The great apostle says pure religion, undefiled, is... And gives a definition for us. So religion's not a bad word. And in fact, in, in 1860, if somebody would get saved and get baptized down at the river, they would testify in church the next Sunday, well, last week I got religion, and it feels so good. See, religion's not a bad word, but we've given it a bad connotation. But here's the deal. The reason I don't like that, and, and I understand what you mean when you say you don't have religion, but you have Jesus. I don't... I don't uh, uh, you know, I, I don't have a fault with what you're saying, because I understand what you're saying, but here's the deal, okay? It kind of leads you to believe that you can do the Christian life without the church, and that's what I don't like. 
Because there's nowhere in the New Testament where Jesus said, or Paul said, or James, or anybody else, that you can do the Christian life without the church. So I understand what you say, that you don't have religion, you have relationship. But let me tell you, let me put it to you this way then. Your relationship with Christ will send you into relationship with other people who have relationship with Christ. You are not going to successfully stay home from church and live as a Christian all by yourself and pass these tests that determine if our character is under the blood. Please hear me. And I'm with, with all sincerity I say this. And then the last two verses say, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. If we confess our sins. Now there is a message out there that calls itself faith and grace. That says to you today, and, and some of the big proponents of this message, you might even have some of their books. But they say to you today, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. You don't have to confess your sin because it's already under the blood and you're just, any, any thought of sin is condemnation from the devil. Let me tell you something, dummy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. It says the opposite of what you're saying, Mr. False Teacher. It says this, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now here's the point. There's no way that most sinners could confess every sin they ever committed. This was not written to sinners. This was written to the Christian in the church. Alright? Before I came to Christ, man, I couldn't remember what I did yesterday. I, I mean, I couldn't confess all my sins. So the, the confession that the sinner needs to make is the confession of Jesus as Lord. And repent of your sin, that means, you know, you don't go back and list every one of them when you're coming to Christ. I repent of this or that. Now, the Lord might bring you to some specifically, and then it's okay, you go on ahead and do that. But... It's not a requirement that you remember every single sin. What you repent of is that you have, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've went our own way. We've, we've tried to run our life by ourselves. We've made up our own rules as we went along. And all of this, we repent of a mindset. We repent of the fact that we don't have Jesus in our life as the Lord of our life, sitting on the throne of our hearts. And so we give our heart to Jesus, and instantly all of those sins, whether we could remember them or not, were cleansed. But now that we are a Christian, we are supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit even on a daily basis. And so if I go out here and I holler at my wife, instantly the Holy Spirit, or very soon after the Holy Spirit says, Len, you shouldn't have talked that way. You shouldn't go, go apologize to her. You should not have acted that way. Or whatever the case might be, see, and then I am to Repent of that. I'm to confess that sin. What does the word confess mean? The word confess means say the same thing about it as God says. So on the negative side, if I confess my sins, it means, let's just go back to that example. I say, let's just say I hollered at my wife. Hey, I didn't do this today, guys. We hardly ever get into any kind of fight or whatever at all. But I'm using it as an example. Let's just say I hollered at my wife. 
I need to say the same thing God says about that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Instantly, right there, this is just that one verse, I know I'm out of line. And so I repent of my sin. I confess it. I say the same thing about it that God said. And if your heart is where it needs to be with the Lord, and it, it isn't going to take too many times of that, and, and, and as you turn to Jesus, that that is broken in your life, and pretty soon before you know it, you don't even do that anymore. Okay? So, as a Christian, it's imperative that we say the same thing about our sins as God does. So, that doesn't sound like sweeping them under the rug, or, oh, it's no big deal because grace covers it. Hey, thank God we have grace. We all need grace. None of us need grace because we're perfect, right? We need grace because we sin. And we don't want to do it, and we hate it. That's the, that's the attitude you will adopt in your heart and life about sin. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Why do we have the word? To help us walk in victory over sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the perpetuation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And so those five character traits test birthmarks. Every one of these, when we're born again, these are put into our hearts. Victory over them. Okay, let's let's go over them briefly one more time. I'm getting ready to close. We're going to go into some music, one song, then I'm going to do an announcement, and then another song, announcement, and so forth for just a few more minutes. But listen to this. First of all, we talked about the faith test. And not only did we talk about that faith test, but we said that we, when we're born again, we are given faith. So God's going to test us, but here's listen to this. We're given faith when we're born again to pass the faith test. We're given abundant life in Jesus Christ to pass the life test. We are given the very love of God shed abroad inside our hearts, meaning that it's shed abroad in our heart, meaning that it's overwhelming what was in our heart before, driving out hate, driving out sin, driving out bitterness and division. Okay? To grow, we were given everything we need for the growth test. And for the sin test, we were given the victory over sin by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. God gives us tests in our life, but he's already given us the answers to the questions. He's already given us what we need to pass every test and to grow in power with the Lord in these last days. You see, this generation needs a gospel of power. This generation needs a gospel that will set them free from cocaine and heroin and meth and perverted sex and all kinds of other things that you can't do it with a dearly beloved. The church needs to get up in the power of God and here's the good news. It's not something that we have to struggle to do. It's something that we have to believe God for. And God has already put it within each of us. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. 
I'm preaching to a bunch of world changers tonight. I'm preaching to a bunch of people tonight that can change this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If only we will believe. We sat and listened to Pastor Carter as he prayed for children to come back home that this society and the devil has tried to take them POWs in this battle of life and the devil's tried to, the enemy has tried to steal their very soul and the very faith from their hearts. And they need an answer. And that answer is not going to be found in Molly Coughlin's sin or, or given some type of psychological recipe. That answer is going to be found when the Word of God is preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when people see Jesus more than they see the preacher. And when people see Jesus more than the platform. And people see Jesus more than the players. Glory to God. And this gospel still... 2,000 plus years later, this gospel still has the power in it to break every chain and every shackle of sin. But we've got to preach it, and we've got to believe it. And God will give you the land. God will give you the land. God will give you what He has promised in His Word. The birthmark leads you right up into the birthright. Hallelujah. I want to close with this verse, this verse, this verse, Psalm. Chapter 2, the second psalm, please, real quickly. We're going to close this part of tonight's broadcast. Psalm chapter 2, here's what it says. And I want to leave you with this. Glory be to God. In verse 8, he says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. I want you to believe for that. I want you to believe for I want you to believe for your family. I want you to believe for your co-workers. God will give them into your hand. I want you to believe for your church, for people who are struggling. I want you to believe for their souls because God will give you delivering power as your inheritance when you preach his gospel and you stand on his word and you're washed in his blood. He wants to use you as an agent of grace in this generation. Real grace that changes the heart of the sinner. Glory to God. We, we Sometimes we hear that terminology, oh, I'm an agent of grace, and that means I'm just going to accept anything that everybody's doing and tell them they're all right. You better not, because that's not what God said in His Holy Word. Real grace, real agents of grace are world changers and life changers because we say the same thing that God says, and men and women, boys and girls, will be set free from their sin. It won't be a matter of we have to try to talk them out of it. That bondage will be broken and they will walk free as the word of God is preached unto them. And that preaching might be like we're doing right now. It might be in a church service or it might just be a conversational tone, a, a, a dialogue. Remember earlier we talked about the difference between a monologue presentation of the gospel and a dialogue presentation. 
sometimes the the you know you win a lot of people by just hanging out and having a conversation with them but if your words are seasoned with the real grace of God bondages will be broken when you speak into people's lives because you're not speaking you know you you're not originating the power you're speaking the gospel and when you speak the gospel it will do its own work in mighty power and people will be delivered and changed and set free. Can somebody say hallelujah to the Lamb of God forever? So we're believing for the nations. We are, but, but, but God said, ask of me. Ask of me. You can believe all day long, but if you don't ask, God's going, you know, when you finally come to your senses, God will say, well, I was just waiting on you. Ask of me. Let's ask for our children. Let's ask for our schools. Let's ask for our societal institutions. Let's ask for a revival to pour out upon planet Earth once again. Let's ask God because he said, I will give you as your inheritance. Glory be to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice tonight. Father, I pray that you will reach out through these ether waves, through these computer wires, all across the world, Father, tonight. And I ask that you will raise up a champion generation that will preach the Word of God undiluted in all its power, in all its glory, in all of its love, in all of its grace, that they would be vessels agents of the grace of God and speak the gospel into people's hearts and watch the Lord do His mighty work. Father, please raise up Your people. Raise up Your people to believe You once again. To believe You for miracles. To believe You for mighty and awesome things in this last generation. Father God, we thank You for it tonight. And we pray that everything that's been said and done has brought glory to the Lord Jesus Christ.